Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the world's most fantastic podcast. That's right. It's uh, Uncanny Treks covering Jonathan Hickman's fantastic forerun. We are at volume number 4.5. If you're really into continuous numbering, it's Future Foundation Volume 1 tomorrow. We're talking about the first five issues of FF Volume 1 or Future Foundation. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Doing all right, Bob. Man, that's a very strange way of introducing this because, like, I feel like Future Foundation just picks up where the Fantastic Four stuff left off, so it just feels like a continuation. It's a natural continuation. It it doesn't feel like it's a new thing, necessarily. Well, Matt, no run is so good that it can't be improved by a couple of extra number ones. You feel me? <laughs> okay, I see, I see what happened here, Bob. So apparently they, they were going to make more money. Is that what it boiled down to? Yeah, yeah. Although it is a natural kind of point to switch with Johnny dead and all the new recruitments. It's, I mean, there's a sort of different focus of the book from when it was the Fantastic Four. So it sort of makes sense, but it, you, there's also a gratuitousness to it. I agree. Yeah. All right, Bob, let's break into these issues. Actually, before we do that, I was going to say, so Hickman's on the writing. Uh, we have Steve for the first three issues as uh, we did have him last time and then we have the great Barry Kitson comes in for issues four and five um, I love him in particular for his DC work uh, he helped create the third version of the Legion of Superheroes with Mark Wade, which was right before this I believe about 2006 or so I want to say maybe 2005 and uh, Matt you might know Barry Kitson's art because he drew the first 28 issues of Azrael Riel, colon, agent of the bat. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's some old school right there. Late 90s Azrael for the win. Yeah, and late 90s Azrael. Actually, that was really more early 90s Azrael, wouldn't it be? Yeah, uh, 94-ish, 95-ish. Oh, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, yeah. So mid-90s. And to all the vile pedants out there, I don't actually know when Azrael got the subtitle agent of the bat. I think it was later in the run, but it's funnier to say Azrael, Agent of the Bat. So he I'm is an Agent it. of the Bat, Bob. What's wrong with that? That's right. That's right. Speaking <laughs> of Agents of the Fantastic, oh God, that was a terrible transition. Uh, Matt, do <laughs> you want to give us a plot summary of FF, or Future Foundation Number 1, The Club? Sure, Bob. So Spider-Man's first day in the Future Foundation is awkward as a rogue AIM faction free the wizard. But the end of the day even takes an even more awkward turn for Reed Richards. Yeah, yeah. So the scientist who's leading the breakaway faction of AIM and who's worried about stagnation generally and stagnation in AIM, that's Advanced Ideas Mechanics, a, a scientist terrorist group. Uh, his name is Andrew Forson. This is his first appearance. He'll be around a lot in maybe this run also hickman's avengers run also some other things so he he becomes a fairly major aim character going forward okay because yeah, i had no i had no clue who he was so it was one of those cases where i'm like crap is this somebody else to know from another issue no good good to know nope yeah always the dilemma of long-term reading comics is this a first appearance or is this not i i think we said this in a prior episode, but it really makes you nostalgic for covers that say the sensational character find of 1940, Robin. So, you know, that's the first time you're seeing Robin, right? Yeah. Or they could just put a little box in the corner that just says first appearance. Just do it. It's for people like me. So we do find out in this issue that Johnny wanted Spider-Man to replace him on the team. Uh, I think that's sweet. I think that's nice. 
Johnny plays like he hates Spider-Man. And I think on some level he does hate Spider-Man, but he also respects him. I, I don't know if I've told you this on air, Matt. Um, have I told you how hilariously hostile the Human Torch and Spider-Man's Silver Age relationship is? Not really, no. Like, what, what's, what are some examples? Well, like, in the first, actually, I think it's the second Green Goblin appearance, uh, It a lot of that is Human Torch fighting Spider-Man and Human Torch <laughs> fighting the Green Goblin. You have, uh, you have both Spider-Man and Peter Parker hitting on the Human Torch's girlfriend, Dory, at different points. It's, uh, they, they, they really don't like each other, and there's a run in like the late teens, early 20s of Amazing Spider-Man where Human Torch feels like he's in almost every issue, and so it's almost like he's the co-star. You know, like you, always, you have a rivalry, like early Luke Cage and Danny Rand style going on. So, Bob, let me ask you this. Is that the reason they went with Iceman as his amazing friend and not the Human Torch? Other than kids setting themselves on fire. <laughs> kids are a lot less likely to cover themselves you know, in ice. I don't actually know. <laughs> and then you have... Yeah. Yeah. I, so... And then you have Firestar. When, who what, doesn't when cover the herself fa- in fire. The, but does have fire powers. Although technically I think they're radiation energy powers, not fire powers. Right. But she doesn't doubt. I'm, she doesn't I'm cover confused herself on the chronology. The question got raised of what came first. Herbie and... Fantastic Four cartoon replacing the Human Torch or Firestar re- replacing who you might imagine to be the Human Torch and Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So we had to look up the dates of both of those. And Matt, do you remember what those dates were? So, Bob, uh, apparently Spider-Man and his amazing friends was in the early 80s, 81 to yeah. like 85 in that era. In, in that era. I and think then, just 81 to 83. Yeah. And, and then the Fantastic Four cartoon with Herbie was in the late 70s. Yeah, at least it started in 78. I don't, I don't know how long that one lasted. But I guess maybe that concern of kids lighting themselves on fire to be the Human Torch was still ongoing at that point. <laughs> yes, it was. Not until the mid-90s would we get a Fantastic Four cartoon with the Human Torch on fire. <laughs> like, yeah, not, not, not till then could we handle the truth. So... Matt, what what do you think of the future Foundation costumes that debut in this issue? And maybe what do you think of Spider-Man's in particular? So the thing with these costumes is they can, like, change to whatever the wearer wants. Like, they have these unstable molecules that can shift or whatever. And Spider-Man tests this out, and he's able to make his costume sort of black. Whereas the traditional look of these future Foundation costumes, they're white, and they have these little dots on the chest, there's three dots, I guess, representing the original members. And each member has a certain dot or certain dots shaded in, depending on who they are. And I, I don't understand if there's significance to that or how that. I think I think just each one has a different pattern. I don't think it means anything more than that. Yeah. And then Spider-Man's doesn't even have that pattern. It just has the, you know, the Spider-Man symbol on the front. I, I, they're okay. I mean, I, I don't know if that if it's something I I, I kind of prefer the blue, the bluish, the blue color, but I mean it's supposed to be different for a reason. Yeah, it's okay as a change of pace, but I mean I definitely prefer the blue as well. I will say on Ben it looks terrible because he has like this coverall overall costume, and that just looks really bad. Yeah, but you already agree with Bob though that the thing definitely should wear like shorts or pants, right? Yeah, I'm not so big on the thing having pants, but he should definitely have uh, Speedo shorts. At least that. Yeah. In the 2015 movie, Bob, that bombed so bad, he didn't wear shorts. I don't understand how you can't 
get that right. Yeah, I, I don't have a strong opinion about if the thing should have genitals or not, Matt, but I do have a strong opinion that I shouldn't be able to see where the thing's genitals are if he has genitals. Or rather, I shouldn't be able to see whether or not he has genitals. I, the man should have some, some Speedos on. That, that's, just, that's just normal. Uh, speaking of nudity, Matt, uh, what did you think of the naked wizard, uh, but still wearing his helmet, ranting about God in this issue? Yeah, standing there butt-ass naked and spouting off how evil he is, that is what I want to call Arkham crazy. Not Ravencraft crazy, crazy Matt? Ravencroft crazy. Yeah, it doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah, I, I appreciate you pronouncing it correctly. I didn't pronounce it correctly, and you did, and I appreciate, I appreciate that. You, you, you shamed me with that, but it was justified. <laughs> also, speaking of bad fashion choices, uh, Nathaniel Richards' ponytail, bad or the worst thing ever? Pretty bad, Bob. He looks like Terry Funk, who, you know, old school wrestler, died last year. Looked a lot yeah, like Terry R. Funk. R.I.P. to Terry Funk, but uh, it's just not the look you want to have when you're a time traveling, a super scientist. It just it doesn't say super science. Uh, it says a death match. It doesn't say yeah. super science. <laughs> I'm from, coming from the future to wrestle you. <laughs> it doesn't have the same impact. <laughs> So one of the best moments in this issue is we do get Alex Power giving a non-denominational prayer before dinner. And uh, Matt, would you like to uh, run down the list of entities that Alex Power's uh, non-denominational prayer uh, evokes? Or yeah, invokes, so as the case may be. Uh, he invokes the ancient ones for the old Atlanteans, the machinery of evolution for the Moloids, atheism, atheism for Val and Dragon Man, and Mephisto for Bentley. Specifically, the Bentley parts are some of my favorite, where he has to grunt to get Alex to acknowledge Mephisto, and then as Alex acknowledges Mephisto, Bentley just whispers to himself, hell yeah. Yeah, this was one of my favorite parts, because you really don't expect the Richards family to pray around the table, but this is the most tolerant, accepting prayer I've ever seen. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really a model of how we should be open to all beliefs, I guess. <laughs> so, Matt, one of the central problems the uh, Fantastic Four comic in general struggles with is how to make super genius Reed Richards relatable. So he can invent a machine to solve any plot problems, so what do you do with that? And I appreciate that the answer is you have his uh, more intelligent father and more intelligent gr uh, daughter gang up on him. Yeah, that sounds about like most families, how that works. It's like a, an intervention of sorts. <laughs> yeah, and in this case, the intervention is to uh, invite uh, Reed's old nemesis, Dr. Doom, to join the Future Foundation. Yeah, just come live in our house. Have a good time. Solve our problems. Yeah. Problem Join being my family. dad. Join the family, Uncle Victor. Yeah. Join yeah. the family. <laughs> that moves us on to issue number two, Doom Nation. Matt, do you want to run down the plot of Doom Nation? Sure. So the Future Foundation decides to restore Doom's damaged intelligence and dark art skills by copying the backup he placed in Kristoff. But Doom will not yet resume his Latvian throne because he must fulfill his deal with Val to defeat Reed. Yeah, yeah. So I really do enjoy how Doom torments Ben about Johnny's death in this issue. It's uh, it's very, very well done, I think. And I really like how mad Ben gets. I mean, you can just tell how much Doom hates Ben. Who comes in and just starts acting to someone who's mourning the loss of their best friend? In general, Matt, I wouldn't do that. But if uh, someone I hated uh, had lost uh, someone else I also hated, I, I, I think I might act like Doom. She's a nice person, Bob. But we also get the great moment in this of Sue threatening to make Doom her lobotomized house pet. It has big Emma Frost energy, let's just say. Yeah, exactly. This scene showed me like a different side of Sue Storm that I'm kind of not used to seeing. And uh, that's just because I haven't read enough Fantastic Four, I'm sure. But 
that this it was hinted at in her confrontation with Namor, but this is different because she's playing the the mother wife defending her family from you know doom, you know entering their abode. It's just a very different different look for Sue that I'm not used to seeing. Well, so I think you're absolutely right that they're going with Sue as the mother bear trope here, which is uh, Sue as mother bear is a very common thing for modern Fantastic Four. That said, and I, I, I don't think this can actually connects to what I'm about to bring up at all. I just think it's a kind of humorous similarity that I'm going to bring it up. Matt, do you know about the time Sue Storm went dark Phoenix? She came out from the dead? she went evil no no she went she went evil she was this when she had the boob window uh, or whatever no no oh. no no that's that's when she took over the fantastic four in the 90s she had the boob window in the shape of a four on her cleavage no in the 80s john byrne was writing and drawing fantastic four and john byrne uh drew the dark phoenix saga and he did his own version of the dark phoenix saga with sue storm where I can't remember exactly what caused it, but Sue goes evil and becomes malice. And she wears really kinky dominatrix, uh, black leather S&M gear, like Emma Frost. Uh, that's that's a big late part of the John Byrne run on FF, is Sue is evil malice. It's, uh, it's absolutely terrible. I mean, I, I don't like the John Byrne run at all. People are very fond of it. I think it's garbage. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say that Sue actually has gone full Dark Phoenix or full, if Emma Frost were a black leather dominatrix instead of a white leather, that Sue Storm's been there. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea about that. Yeah. Sounds like we had some uh, horny artist back in John Byrne's run. Yeah, yeah. John Byrne was that horny artist, Matt. Oh, oh yes, yes. There you go. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, Matt, I really also like how Spider-Man's humor doesn't quite fit the Fantastic Four. In this issue, he manages to annoy Reed, Nathaniel, and Doom all at once. That was great. Yeah, when I saw Spider-Man was the new member, I wondered if his quipping was going to fit with the dynamic of the group or if they were just going to hate it. And it seems like they mostly hate it. Although, Turg, Turg the Moloid, he likes Spider-Man, but Meek the Moloid does not care for Spider-Man. Oh, those Moloids and their opinions. Yes, which we know Matt respects and values, yeah. as he values the Moloids <laughs> as people. Yes, Bob, the Moloids <laughs> are not pets, they are people. So we also get another revelation, this uh, this issue, which is Ben storms out to go drinking after Doom joins the Future Foundation. He takes Dragon Man along with him to buy the drinks, since Dragon Man doesn't drink. And over the course of a bar conversation, Dragon Man reveals that he's a pacifist. To uh, paraphrase Miguel Ferrer in Twin Peaks, he walks with Gandhi and King. He does not use violence to uh, obtain what he wants. And uh, Ben is so mystified by this, he just goes to get another beer. Dragon Man is so imposing looking, though. I I feel like if you turned to Dragon Man for help and he was a pacifist, it wouldn't help. That would be kind of disappointing. Well, in fairness to Dragon Man, he's not an absolute pacifist. He says he's willing to use violence to defend himself for the kids. But it seems he really is not, really not fond of the idea, though. Because Val went off to, like, Land of the Reeds and met up with Doctor Doom and became friends with him. And Oh, oh, so you're, you're going to prevent <laughs> Val from traveling to other worlds and breaking into her father's lab, Matt? That, you're going to do that? Yeah, and Nathaniel's got his brand new god powers back and all this stuff, and... Did one of the did one of the Fantastic Four hit one of the Moloy kids last? I don't know. Hit Leech last issue. 
<laughs> that was necessary and leech wanted leech wanted to be knocked out with that wrench he was specifically requesting it yeah so see dragon band's doing a really crappy job as a babysitter no no i would I not, not hire dragon band to watch my kids oh yeah yeah okay yeah <laughs> somebody else is going to do better with valeria and bentley and franklin's god powers come on come on so do you find the phrase that Kristoff has a quote full portion of doom a little creepy well bob do you prefer a uh... You, you don't want a full portion of doom? Do you prefer a half portion of doom or a sixth of doom or eight it's inches totally of doom? Re- it, it's totally relative, Matt. It's totally contextual. It's just totally circumstantial. It just depends on what the situation is. And then I can make a judgment about portion of doom that I, that I may need or want in the given situation. We also have a doom referring to Val as the, quote, shrewd child, which was very entertaining. Yeah, I'm very convinced that Val would be an excellent villain in a horror movie at, as a child. Oh, it was yeah, the kid yeah. the whole time. Uh, there's some trashy horror movie coming out where there's a, some sort of spec ops kidnap squad is going to kidnap this rich little girl, but it turns out the rich little girl is a vampire and she messes them up. Val has that same sort of energy. I could also see Val in Home Alone 7 or whatever. <laughs> Can you imagine the traps she come up with? Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that... Uh, I imagine that uh, Home Alone is an underrated influence on Val and Franklin's portrayals. Issue number three, nice little Alan Moore tribute. Whatever happened to all those reads? Whatever did happen to all those reads, Matt? So on behalf of Doom, Bob, the Moloids deliver an invitation to the creator, the High Evolutionary, Dragon Man to his creator, Diablo, Bentley to his creator, the Wizard, and Spider-Man to the Mad Thinker for the symposium Conquering the Mount Fantastic, How to Finally Defeat Richards. Yes, yes. So, Matt, I hate The Watcher. I hate The Watcher. But him showing up to startle super intelligent characters as they're on the verge of making a terrible decision or they've already made a terrible decision is a great trope. Uh, we, we have him here interrupting Val's lecture to the Future Foundation. Uh, later, we'll see him show up in Bendis's X-Men after Hank McCoy brings the original five X-Men to the present. So when the Watcher shows up, his appearance is meant to emphasize how important an event is. I felt like we needed the Watcher in Krakoa more often. I'm going to hard disagree with that because the Watcher is terrible, and I don't want to see him on the page in Krakoa, Matt. Just to, I, I, want, uh, I, want to see, I want to see the big baby man during the council meetings and stuff. That way I know to Matt, pay attention. I feel, like, I feel like your baby fetish shouldn't be reflected in X-Men. I'm sorry. <laughs> there, I said it. He's not really a baby. He just says, get a big head, and he's wearing a cape. People who are into adult baby play aren't really babies either, Matt. What I want to see Marvel do, Bob, is like, where's Waldo with the Watcher? Every comic book has, like, has the Watcher in it somewhere. Speaking of multiple versions of the character, we do have a great line from one of the evil reads to Val. I would tell you to behave, but you Vals just don't have it in you. Which, that line got me thinking, Bob, are there other really smart Vals, and are they plotting something? I would assume that most of the vowels are pretty smart. That would probably seem like, you know, pretty close to a universal constant. And yeah, it is creepy to think where are all the other uh, Fantastic Four characters for these alternate reads? Are they dead? You get the sense that maybe some of them are dead. Yeah, that's creepy. That means like the other reads either, the other reads either killed them or made it so their lives were not going to be significant enough for them to affect what Reed's doing, <laughs> which that's, that's not good. Either. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's not great. It's not great. So uh, going on to issue number four, Matt, it's entitled beating of drums. You want to run the plot down for us? 
Yeah, so Val explains to the villains of the Future Foundation about the Four Reeds' plan to build a machine called Soul's Anvil to return home by starting the War of the Four Cities, while Sue, Spidey, and Alex Power come face-to-face with an evil Reed and Mole Man at Old Atlantis. So, Bob, is a time travel plot, why doesn't anyone want to go back and save Johnny? I'm going to come up with a really easy theory and just say the negative zone is immune to time travel. Oh, that's actually pretty good. I don't know if it's that's true, but it, yeah, it's plausible. <laughs> we'll just run with it. It just hit yeah. me at this issue. I'm like, you've got you've got Johnny was going to die. You had all the sad stuff going on. You got Nathaniel coming back from the future. Let's just go back and save Johnny so he doesn't die, and we can avoid a lot of this sadness. Well, I do think for dramatic reasons, you want to keep the time travel com- confined to Val and uh, Franklin and Nathaniel, right? Right. But they could go back Even and though- tell them what's going to happen. Even though we have seen uh, we have seen the FF time travel quite a bit, uh, you know, a very early Fantastic Four issue is we find out that Thing was actually Blackbeard. All right then. Yes, yes. It's because Doctor Doom sends them back in time. I think this is the first Doctor Doom appearance. Maybe the second. I think it's the first. Doctor Doom sends them back in time because he needs uh, he needs Blackbeard's gold. Interesting, Bob. That sounds like uh, not the Fantastic Four we're reading now. <laughs> it's the. It's the Fantastic Four we might be reading in the future, which yeah. is paradoxical because it's even more in the past than this. Let your mind uh, ruminate on that for a minute. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Now my brain hurts. Appreciate it. All right. So, Matt, do you remember we just speculated on what the alternate reads might do to their families? We do remember what they do to the Dooms. What is it they do to the Dooms, Matt? They put them in the pit of Dooms, Bob. It's the place to be. The hole of Dooms, Matt. The, the hole of Dooms. Dooms. The hole of Dooms. It's very creepy. It's very creepy. <laughs> Matt, I got an important question to ask you. Why am I getting spam phone calls at like 8 o'clock on a Saturday? I don't know, Bob. You didn't pay your bills? I don't know. Or I it could be election bills. stuff. Could be election stuff. Could be election stuff. I uh, I recently sent a very rude text message to Jamal Bowman. Oh, that's probably why you're getting yeah. spam calls. <laughs> they, yeah, they, know yeah. they know you'll interact. They know you're a real person. Yeah, yeah. I, I will tell Jamal Bowman or Joe Biden to stop supporting a, a genocide in Gaza. Well, there you go, Bob. Let him know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we do uh, we do have, I believe it's Reed explained to the Future Foundation Council of Villains in this issue what uh, the other Reeds do to Dooms. And then we get both Dooms' uh, furious and Diablo's uh, delighted response to this. That really amused me. Yeah, that's it's like, uh, yeah, the Hall of Dooms is just hilarious to me, Bob. The Look hole of dooms, Matt. It's, it's the hall of justice, but the hole of dooms. The hole of dooms. I know that's one. The hole of dooms is awesome, Bob. I, mean, I want a hole of dooms. It sounds like Matt wants a place where he can get multiple full portions of dooms <laughs> all at once. That's what it sounds like. I can get all the portions of dooms I need, Bob, in the hole of dooms. Yes, yes. Your your daily portion of doom. Yes. Heading to the doom hole. Right, into the doom hole. <laughs> oh, man. So issue number five, Sound of War. Matt, what goes down in Sound of War? So Ben and Reed get the much-deserved business from Alicia and Sue, respectively. Yeah, both have been a little short-sighted, shall we say, and uh, they need their wives and their girlfriends to ride them until they uh, they straighten up and fly right. Matt, I do have a question that this issue raised for me. Does Spider-Man just leaving Alex Power to face down a whole, like, I think it's a Moloid army, right? To face a whole Moloid army. Does that mean Spider-Man's actually very bad at being a member of the Fantastic Four? That he's just leaving this kid alone there? 
Yeah, he really is. I don't think he knows that Alex doesn't have as much control over his powers as he should. And that he's not a veteran at this, like the original four were. <laughs> and it does cost Alex a fractured ulna in three places. I mean, geez, that's painful. I mean, that, that's that's bad, but at least it wasn't worse. I mean, moloids, man, they're crazy. Yeah, moloids always breaking stuff. If only they could domesticate them. I mean, you have to evolve <laughs> them before you can domesticate them. That's what the second arc taught us. You got to evolve the moloids yeah. first. You got to run them through the high evolutionary machine. So, Bob, in this issue, we get, you know, Ben goes to, to visit Alicia, and they're talking to each other, and there's this statue in the background that I thought was part of the plot. Oh. I thought that. Ben was seeing things. Oh, you thought it was a hallucination? <laughs> yes. Uh, I had to go uh, back and reread the page. Usually, I'm not that thrilled off, but I looked, I was like, what is this talk? Is 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 Ben seeing things and that's what the problem is now? No, that's not it. There, there's a bigger issue here, but it's, yeah, I just want to let you know that that was, that was my experience with this issue. I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you hallucinated the thing hallucinating that. Yeah, that's basically a, is what I said. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice little Ouroboros. So, <laughs> so what's the bit, what's the big event at the end of this issue, Matt? So the, at the end of this issue, Bob, the inhumans return and we get to see black bolt. Always good to see black bolt. I like black bolt. Yeah. I do too. I'm not going to let that bad TV show make me not like Black Bolt. I'm just going to focus on Captain Daddy, a.k.a. Captain Pike from Strange New Worlds. He's Black Bolt too, and so I like him. That's all. And the thing with the the Inhumans too, that's actually on Disney Plus now. It may have already been for a while, but I actually saw it advertised on there. Oh, then I thought about watching it and said no. Uh, Matt, if, I mean, if we're ever really desperate for podcast content, I guess we, we can rest easy knowing that it's there on Disney Plus. Yeah. I mainly just want to see Daddy Pike. That was about it. Yeah. Yeah, same. Same. Yeah. So, Matt, what's your favorite visual from these five issues? So, Bob, there's actually a diagram at the end of the first issue that has the silhouettes with an explanation of uh, who they are and which team they belong to. Uh, it was at this point that I think Hickman realized that there were way too many characters and readers like me may need a little support to get through this. I think Hickman would say the longtime readers shouldn't, but if anybody's jumping on for future foundation, number one, they might need it. Yep. And also uh, an actual visual, something drawn that was mm -hmm. meant to be that way. Thing about to jump on Dr. Doom, but Sue holding him back with her powers in the second issue. That was really cool. That was a nice. Yeah, always nice good scene. to be reminded that Sue is the most powerful of the four. Yeah. What about for you, me, Bob? I'll go with. I'll go with uh, number five, and there's a moment where we have uh, Franklin, Bentley, Artie, and Leech facing down Doom, Wizard, Mad Thinker, and Diablo, and the four kids all have toy guns, and I think Franklin has a cowboy hat. It's a very cool yeah. moment. And, like, they're not they're those toy guns that shoot the little, like, suction cup darts, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> they're not cap guns. You can't look at them and think they're going to shoot something at you that's going to be painful. It's, you see the little suction cup darts. Like, I don't know which one of them would have shot at Doom so they could like see if it sticks to his armor. Maybe Doom would have uh, surprised you and dodged it, even though you think he's immobile. Or maybe Uncle Doom has a heart and he would have fallen over. Oh, uh, you got me. <laughs> only if Ben wasn't looking. That's the yeah. only time <laughs> that Doom would do that. Although, I don't think Doom has any feeling towards Frank. I think it's only towards Val, because Val's his goddaughter. I don't, I don't think he has any similar feeling to Franklin. All right, Bob. So, favorite line of dialogue. All right. Yeah, what was yours, Matt? Mine was in issue number two, and it was Sue. You alluded to this earlier. She's Her and Victor are talking about you know him joining the Future Foundation. She says, 
Don't push me, Victor. I could always do a little more damage up there. A couple of strategically placed air bubbles in your brain, and you'll be reduced to a drooling house pet. If you're good, maybe I'd feed you from the table. That's Emma Frost right there. That's what that is. Very much so. Uh, my favorite bit of dialogue was also Sue Storm. It's and also related to Doctor Doom, plus all the other villains like Diablo, Mad Thinker, uh, the Wizard. And in number four, if I'm remembering right, Sue is talking to Spider-Man as she opens the refrigerator and he's asking her, is she not worried about having all their villains there? And she's like, throughout the years, I've beaten every one of them over and over badly. Should I be afraid of them or should they be afraid of me? Yeah, that's the truth. All right, so Bob. So who's your favorite character in this arc, man? Well, my favorite character is Sue. Sue was awesome in, these, in, this, in this, uh, this volume. Every, every issue, she played a pivotal role. Yeah, I hadn't, th I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. She is she is pretty central to this one. I'm going to give it to Doom. I just think having Doom there to react and have all the other characters react to really makes the volume. I also just love Doom's kind of impassivity. It's it's so nice. So, uh, yeah, you went with Sue. I went with Doom. Matt, I think our favorite issue selections, coincidentally or not, rhyme with our favorite dialogue selection. So what was your favorite issue? Yeah, so issue number two, Bob, uh, you get the beginning of the issue with – doom confronting all the different members of the fantastic four and the whole family then you have you know sue riding his ass then you have doom getting rebuilt and by the end of it you're okay doom's back it's a return so, of doom and meeting the whole new dynamic within the family i loved it is what you're saying matt that you like number two because it gave you a full portion of doom it really did bob i had a full portion of doom in issue number two that i appreciated wasn't too much it wasn't too much doom it wasn't too little doom it was a full portion just enough it was doom. just right yes yeah very well I, well that that's comforting that's comforting i like number four i think because this really did have the villains joining the future foundation working in jibin i really like that angle of uh, issue number four that's our coverage of the first collection of the future foundation of ff um, we did the first five issues. Next time, we're going to do the next, I believe, six issues. So it'll be uh, number six through 11 of FF Volume 1, or Future Foundation, as I call it, because FF sounds like Fantastic Four. Uh, thanks for joining us on this fantastic ride. I'm Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.